All right, so no spoilers, but yo, man, that WandaVision. It's intense, bro. It's intense. I did not think I was going to like the Marvel shows as much as I'm liking WandaVision. Yeah, I know that this hits deep for you because you are first and foremost a Marvel guy. Very literally, like Marvel is your like sort of baseline for like comic book interest. Like that's you're you're a Marvel based. The the cabinet behind me, not that the podcast listeners can see, but the cabinet behind me is just full of two long boxes of Hulk comics. And there's a Hulk, there's a full uh, there's a Hulk action figure and there's a Hulk poster behind you. It's your favorite. By the way, when I gave you my Disney Plus password that's right disney we are sharing disney plus passwords uh you're not getting the full value from us um when i uh when i gave it to you i made your avatar the hulk because i knew yeah no it's and that's completely legit yeah but it's so goddamn good it's so good wandavision is legitimately tremendous but here's the big troll this whole time everybody's been like this is how they're gonna do it this is how they're gonna bring the mutants in this is how we're gonna get x-men right because wanda why wouldn't it be scarlet witch introduces the x-men men into the house of m and they're not gonna do it at all they got one more episode to do it and they're not gonna do it this show has been bait for the internet and for instagram specifically there have been so many memes and so many uh theories shared about this show and i have i will not lie to you i have bitten down on all of them and i think the brilliant thing is Marvel has finally realized that you cannot beat the trolls. You simply have to entertain them. And the way to entertain them is not to give them what they want. It's to have them play the game. You, Marvel is the owner with the ball of string and the trolls are the cat. And Marvel knows that and they finally figured it out. That Because if you pay attention to the internet, the internet's not upset at all that they got all of it wrong. They, they've gotten everything wrong except, spoiler alert, the identity, well, not spoiler, but the identity of cat. Catherine Hahn's character. The internet got that right. But in fairness, the name was very opaque and obvious. It was like not, they weren't doing a lot to hide it there. But everything else, the internet was wrong about. So the beekeeper showed up. People were like, this is going to be the villain. Oh my God. When Pietro showed up, they're like, they're doing it. They're crossing over. And it turns out it's like, here it is. No, I just couldn't get his real body. Like, that's just a dude. This is a guy. I think, I think um, for the people that are listening, this episode will likely air many weeks after WandaVision finishes, so it's on you to watch it. But also, um, we don't know yet episode 10. We are the night before episode 9, excuse me, the last episode of the season. We're literally right on the edge. I don't know if Pietro will turn out to be somebody else. I'm not sure. He's definitely not Pietro. He's not real Pietro, and he's not, I don't think, even a multiverse Pietro, which is what a lot of people thought, is that he'd been ripped from the multiverse. Her powers had sort of reached out and pulled a Pietro that was alive, and that was why he didn't have an exact memory. No, totally wrong. When they mentioned the aerospace engineer, everyone's like, Reed Richards, here they come. When they showed us that rover, what I think the rover was the biggest tease of the season. Other people said it's other things. I think it's the rover, because when they said aerospace engineer twice... And then they said, the rover's ready. You're like, oh, the rover from the space mission that Fantastic Four have been on forever. Like, that's always their origin story. We're like, oh, that's, that's where, here they come. And they're like, I've got my friend. And you're like, oh, here it comes. And it wasn't anybody. Not, no, no knock on the actor who was playing a character that we don't have much connection to. Could end up being really important, but wasn't who we thought. We all thought, John Krasinski, here he comes. Like, and it wasn't John Krasinski, who, by the way, probably hasn't even signed a contract with Marvel. They have been doing such a masterful job of playing with the string right over all of our heads and making us paw at it. I, have, I am so impressed with them. The pacing of the episodes, I think, is tremendous. I think they figured out... And I'm so happy for them. And I'm so happy for all of us as fans of these sort of types of characters and shows. They figured out how to use the B-line characters from the movies in super effective ways to push the ball further down the field. Because now, how geeked are you about Falcon and the Winter Soldier in two weeks? It's, yeah, it's because this was probably the most ridiculous pitch out of all of them, right? You're telling me like, okay, you're going to have like a buddy cop Falcon Winter Soldier. Okay, I can wrap my head around that. Right. Okay, you're going to have a, a low-key 
series. Okay, well, he's super popular, so of course. But you're going to have Wanda and Vision, even though Vision is dead, and they're going to be in like a sitcom style based on 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, early 2000s. Like, it's going to morph as they go. Like, what is this thing going to be? And it turned out it's going to be freaking great. I think it is conceptually one of the most daring things that has ever appeared on, I'll use the word television, but we're well past television now. I don't know that if you'd pitch the concept of this to someone in the 1960s or the 1970s, the thought of it would have even made any sense. Now think of that. These are people that imagine flying cars and other worlds and aliens. And if I told you there was a show within a show, within a show, eight levels down, that was about the psyche of a trauma survivor processing the grief of her dead robot husband through the lens of another magical being who was reverse engineering a TV show to elicit an emotional response out of that powerful being so as to learn more about the magic. It's like, but here's the thing. You don't need any of the jargon I just dropped to watch it and understand what's happening because it is so well executed that if you pay attention, even basically, once the Agatha game is played, once you figure that out, the rest of it, you don't need to, con- you don't need to understand all of the nuts and bolts. You're just like, oh, she's been screwing with her and here's why. And that is like, dude, I'd whatever they're going to do in nine, I'm pretty sure it goes directly into Doctor Strange, right? Yeah. Yeah, because Wanda, the rumors are that Wanda is going to be a big part of Multiverse of Madness. That she's going to, she's, it's going to be like their, like, even though it's Doctor Strange's movie, it's going to be like a, like a duo. Right. But on that note. Oh boy. Yeah. It's time to get cranking on this episode of, I mean, it's possible. Let's go. We literally just did a conspiracy theory, po- a short introductory conspiracy theory podcast on WandaVision. I told you this podcast is going to spin off into a, a movie TV nerd podcast. I know it's gonna. All for it. But until that day comes. Until that day. Today is your day, Mr. Kyle. Yeah. And it is it is your turn to drop a conspiracy on us. Uh-huh. What is that topic going to be today? Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever been to the Denver airport? <laughs> oh, you're busting out the Denver airport. <laughs> I'm folks listen when we did the draft if you're if you've been listening with us uh, or if you're new to the podcast and you're going to go back and listen to the draft you're going to know that at a certain point I realized the Denver airport is a bit of a poison chalice after I pick it so I I want you Bobby and I want the listeners and all of our ASMR fans I want them to know that I know what's going to happen today I am no fool <laughs> Mama didn't raise no fool. And uh, I know. But I want to talk to you about the Denver airport anyway. Because here's here's what happened. I had a real tough week. And that's why I picked the Denver airport. Because I thought this was going to be a barrel of laughs. And uh, <laughs> it's not. Uh, it's not. Here's the, here's the thing. It's also probably complete and total horseshit. So again, I know what's coming. I'm, I'm doing this not to be bigger than the topic or to try to outsmart the game. I'm just being honest because that's, I'm just being honest. Okay. I did the research. I know, listen, you can't bullshit a bullshitter and a bullshitter can't bullshit themselves. And I'm telling you, there's no, there's almost no case to make here, but I do want to talk to you about what is going on at the Denver airport because it does appear to be, um, fucking weird is probably the best. Well, we did just have that airplane. Didn't that happen at the Denver? Like the parts, the parts fell off the airplane. If that happened at the Denver airport, Bob, I got to tell you, uh, that's just another in a long line of what are you doing, Denver? Okay, so here's here's the basic. I'm just gonna give you the basic opening. Okay, so here we go. Please lay out the conspiracy that we that we're going to be addressing because the Denver airport does exist. Absolutely. So it's the Denver International Airport, and it opened February 28th, 1995. Very recently, as of the recording of this episode, celebrated its, what, 26th year in existence. The conspiracy theory I'm going to talk to you about today is that the Denver Airport is home to, among other things, the base of operations for the New World Order in alliance uh, with the Freemasons to uh, to create a place where someday the remnants of the human race will survive the apocalypse. There are so many conspiracy theories about the Denver airport. It's it's it, this is the thing. It's it's a multi-lane highway, Bob. Okay? And they're all going 100 miles an hour. Okay? It's the Audubon on absolute cocaine. It is the weirdest 
Here's the thing. Most of these conspiracy theories we've been looking into, they have one lane, maybe two lanes. They maybe have ulterior lanes, but they're usually well fleshed out for reasons that like the conspiracy itself explains. Like, well, if this couldn't be possible, well, then this has to be. So you have like an A or B type situation. This one has like a million tentacles for no reason at all. It's almost impossible to understand what people think is happening at the Denver airport. But I'm going to kind of give you the rough approximation of what most people seem to think is happening. But off the top, I'm going to say at various times it is an alien conspiracy. At various times it is a New World Order conspiracy. At various times it is an alternate New World Order slash Freemason conspiracy. At other times it is uh, like a pagan devil conspiracy. There are so many angles to this that it's like it's you can't even present it like a coherent thought. But I'm going to take the middle lane, the lane that all the other lanes zoom in and out of every now and then, and I'm going to kind of just stick and hug to that one, which is that the Freemasons are involved in some new world order cabal to, uh, I don't know, to survive the end times, which they may or may not be bringing on, according to uh, conspiracy theorists. So I sent you, like I have in the past, a number of do not open until the episode emails. There are, I think, three for this episode. They all have... That's becoming a trademark. It's becoming my move. It's the most dramatic thing you can do on a podcast. Uh, And again, I'm nothing if not dramatic. Uh, uh, My career choice was not an accident. So, okay. The Denver airport, again, built February 28th, 1995. It's officially dubbed Denver International Airport. It's massive. It's probably probably the best way to describe it. It was originally uh, conceived in the early 90s. And it went way over scale, way over budget, and way over its uh, time that it was supposed to be constructed in. So again, it's finished in early 1995, but that was not the original uh, schedule date, and it wasn't the original budget. It was originally budgeted to be on a $1.5 billion project, which for 1992, three when it was conceived, is a lot of money. It ended up by some estimates, costing up to $5.6 billion. Some estimates saying as low as like the high $3 billions into the $4 billions. It definitely went at least $2 billion over budget, which would conservatively put it at about $3.7 billion. That is the piece of evidence most people will point to that something was wrong from the jump. Now, Bobby, your father worked in construction for many years. Yes. Things go over budget. Things take time. Sometimes schedules aren't hit. I remember your dad would talk about sometimes about that. Oh, this went that way. This went that way. It is what it is. He was a union guy, right? Not every deadline is hit. But if you know nothing about construction and a massive undertaking like a huge international airport comes up, you might think that every dot's going to get, you know, dotted and every T is going to get crossed right on time. I mean, for those of you that don't know the story of the big dig... (laughs) That alone should tell you that uh, building, digging a hole took so long and went so over budget that I can imagine if now you're dealing with a large international airport. Right. So what a lot of conspiracy theorists will point to, and you can already hear that I'm like sort of diverging from the idea of convincing you of this and sort of steering more towards just like telling you what they're saying because it's like it's already i i grew up in new england i grew up with the big dig you grew up with the big dig like the central artery getting replaced was a massive public works project that took i think a decade and a half or something insane it finished when we were in high school it was i think it was started roughly around the time we were born it took forever and it almost never ended and there, it was it was around so long that before they finished it, they had to start repairing the first parts they'd built because they had, after general wear and tear over time, started to fall apart. And they hadn't even finished the project yet. So, like, massive public works undertakings like this, they are, they're difficult. But what people in the conspiracy theory community will point to is Denver already had a working airport at the time. It had a very big working airport. Uh, I don't know what people from Denver call themselves. Denverites? Denveronians? (laughs) Whatever it is. The horse lords? Whatever they call themselves, they 
would point to the fact that it was a noisy airport. It was close to the city. They didn't like it. They wanted to build it somewhere else where it was a little bit less congested and a little bit less bothersome. It's a pretty common request from the rich about airports. They don't really want to deal with them. So they want to put them places they don't have to hear the planes. People will say, no, that's that's baloney. It was, uh, it was clearly, from the jump, a shady operation. One thing that they point to that is a bit interesting and I'll give them I'll give them what I'll give them when it's fair multiple contractors were fired and replaced contract companies were fired and replaced during the construction phase what conspiracy theorists will point to is that that was to hide the overall intent of the project because there was actually a larger hand at play and pieces needed to be built in a piecemeal fashion so that nobody could know what the other had built and that nobody would know exactly what they had been a part of putting together. So that brings us to what people claim it is. The Denver International Airport will actively show you the catacombs beneath it. It is a massive undertaking. It is a massive operation. When you see it, it's kind of a marvel. It's a little bit like when they show you how the Disney characters move around Disney. There are these tunnels and these labyrinth-like mazes where the show goes on underneath the surface. This is not the only airport in the world, by the way, that's constructed this way because it's hard to move millions of pieces of luggage a week in front of everyone's eyes. And if you don't have the space to go around them outdoors, you have to go underneath. It's not the only place that's built this way. But conspiracy theorists will say, well, those catacombs are not, in fact, for luggage and the transfer of uh, equipment and vehicles and stuff. They are the shadow home of the New World Order order slash the Freemasons who are going to either use this underground catacomb as a home during the apocalypse, which again, they may or may not be causing or that they know is coming, or a they are going to use it as a cover during a biological attack, which they also may or may not be causing. Uh, it's maybe where aliens are kept slash where, where they will hide from aliens. It is also possibly, according to conspiracy theorists, a FEMA concentration camp. And, and I'm not going to make fun of the idea of a FEMA concentration camp because we very recently found out that our country has been keeping children in cages. So I'm not going to make a joke about that like it's such a stupid thing and I'm not going to insult the people who were offended by that happening to human beings. It was a horrible thing so I'm not going to laugh at that. So I'm just going to state it and that's that's what they say it is. Because it's not so outrageous, the idea that America was keeping people in cages very recently for whatever reason. So, that is what it is. But this is what they say is underneath the Denver airport. That it was built way over budget and way over time and way over scale because it's secretly housing this base of operations for the NWO. And not the NWO from WCW Halcyon wrestling days. Hulk, Hulk Hogan's not coming out, brother, with, with the all blacks, okay? He's not coming out with the black and white outfit. He's he's still in Florida, okay? This is the NWO of the New World Order that's running the world. That was a, that was a very dark day for a very young Bobby Anderson. <sighs> When he took a heel turn, I believe it was Summer. Was it SummerSlam or no? It was a uh, something. Yeah, because SummerSlam is a WWE event, and and he. Yeah, it was like Bash yeah. at the Beach or something, and he came out, and my dad. Me and my dad had watched it yep. as a pay-per-view event. My dad's like, oh, no. And I'm like, no, he's coming to help. He's coming to kick their ass. And my dad's like, no. Then he came out. That was a very dark day for... I'm going to make a really... I'm going to pause the Conspiracy Theory podcast, and I'm going to take a left turn off the highway into a controversial town. And I'm going to say that NWO Hulk Hogan is, in fact, the best Hulk Hogan and my favorite Hulk Hogan. And there's a bunch of reasons why. The first is, I find... You would have a harder time convincing me of that than you would that the Denver airport is actually a home <laughs> for all these things that you've said. That's actually really funny. Um, okay, I'm going to make my point as to why. And here's why. Hulk Hogan, when he was the red and yellow American warrior, was every kid from the 80s childhood hero, okay? We were born at the end of what would be his like iconic era. He was really much more important to like the Gen X kids like that kind of came before us. But we knew of him. He was an he was an icon. He was a cultural you know icon figure in wrestling, and we both watched wrestling growing up. So you knew who Hulk Hogan was. But the red and yellow, I am a real American, prototypical American warrior fighting the the cause. I think had crusted over and long since dried up and died. And it only worked again when he came back many years later because he'd gone heel in the NWO and given you a palate cleanser to tell you why you loved Hulk all along. But that's not why I 
think he's the best. I think he's the best because I think wrestlers are intrinsically more interesting when they are bad guys. I And I'm going to point to multiple iterations of wrestlers that were better when they were the bad guy. The Rock was better when he was the bad guy. He tried to sell Rocky Maivia. No one wanted it. He took a heel turn and he became fascinating, fun, charismatic. He got to be mean to the crowd who had been booing him. And then they loved him. I don't think that's an accident. I think the best Triple H we ever got was in DX. I think the DX Triple H is really fun and really funny and ironic. And he's like, a, he's a mess. And he's like dropping people in buses. Like, it's like, there's some ridiculous stuff going on. I think, I mean, I think you could make the argument that Stone Cold Steve Austin is always a heel. He's just a really likable heel. He's never like a good guy. He's like a heel, but also a heel to other heels. Like, like his big beef was always with like Vince McMahon, which everybody hated. And you know what I mean? Right. So he's not a heel. I should take he's that more back. like just yeah. anti-establishment. Right. And maybe that's what I like the most. Maybe that's the argument I'm making. I'm hearing, I'm hearing wrestling fans just absolutely want to like reach to the microphone and kill me because I'm saying that that Austin was a heel. He was for a little while in the 90s during the like the height of the Monday Night Raw era. He was a, a bit of a heel. But I don't know. I think Hulk was better when he was in the NWO. I like when people get together and gang up and wear different costumes and they're like, oh, we're, the, we're DX. Like you're like, boy, aren't you all four completely different people? And they're like, yeah, but on Thursday nights we wear black and green. Like I remember sometimes they would wear like their other costumes and and then they would come on and be like, no, nah, it's DX tonight. And you're like, okay, it's like they're cosplaying wrestling in a wrestling show. I thought it was so funny. And I thought it was super funny that they used to spray paint people. I thought that was the most disrespectful thing I ever saw in my life. When they would rip somebody's shirt, I was a little kid. And I was like, man, they just ripped his shirt open and spray painted his back. That's going to take ages to wash off. I was like, because I've gotten spray paint on my hand. Because I grew up in the city. And I knew that when you tag something, don't get it on your hands. Because your mom's going to find out. And that he got it on his back. And I remember being like, oh, well, that's going to take oh, so long to wash off, dude. You can barely reach the middle of your back. Like, So I don't know. I thought it was funny. And I thought putting four jerks together that are huge and making them like, I don't know. I thought it was Kevin Nash and him. I thought it was funny. I liked it better. Am I completely wrong? Is the internet going to completely freak out about this? No, I think here's my big thing is you always need that one. So like you can have heroes, anti-heroes, t- heel turns, all that sort of stuff. But you always want there to be like one bastion of like to go back to the Marvel callback, like Captain America. You know what I mean? Like you want that one person who's like, who's the beacon, sure. right? Everybody else can waffle and I was bad. Now I'm good. Now I'm I'm bad and maybe it makes them more or less interesting or whatever but i think at the end of the day it's more interesting to have like one especially when everybody else is waffling back and forth to have one character who's like nope this is the this is the right this is the good and then like you get to compare and contrast that absolute with everybody else around him and be like okay well i'm gonna i'm gonna throw out a name is the absolute good of the WWE Mick Foley is he though his though his characters are all weird and and like strange I mean he's mostly mankind right he's a cactus jack mankind like you know he's like but is he is he the um I'm trying to think of the D&D word like there's chaotic evil there's neutral there's what he's chaotic good he would right? definitely be like chaotic yeah. good yeah I feel like he's also the heart of the WWE right because like he's like a and I don't mean Mick Foley the man, I mean the character. He's like a loser. Like, that's the character, is the angle, is that he's kind of a weirdo and a loser, and he's never going to be very good, and he'd get his ass kicked by athletic, like, muscle-bound, you know, gladiator types, and then we'd cheer for him, even though we knew he was going to lose. And in, like, the most disturbed, like, getting slammed through the top of the cage... Right. Onto like thumbtacks. Thumbtacks in the yeah. face. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, listen, if you're wondering how much I believe in the Denver International Airport conspiracy theory, take a look at how much air we've put into this thing talking about Marvel and wrestling. The wrestling thing, by the way, we didn't have any idea we were going to talk about that. We side talk about Marvel a lot, so it's no surprise it came up. The wrestling thing came out of nowhere. I feel like it might come up a lot more. Um, but anyway, I'm going to get back to the Denver International Airport. Okay, so the bare bones of it are it's built in 95, but it's way over budget. It's too big. Something's going on. People claim it's home for the Freemasons. Now, that would be like a weird thing to claim unless you had some piece of evidence to point to the Freemasons being involved in the 
construction. Bobby, can you go to your email? The Freemason plaque? Yeah, open that one. So, okay. So for anyone who's listening, I'm going to describe to you what Bobby's currently looking at. Again, old Uncle Kyle's pulled his tricks again. I've sent Bobby an image, and that image is a plaque that was put as a capstone to a time capsule that was placed during the construction of the Denver International Airport. Bobby, what do you see on this plaque of this capsule? Uh, dead center? Yeah, dead center. That would be uh, that would be the symbol of the Freemasons. And under that, it says March 19. 19- 19th, 1994, which was when the capsule was placed, which is about a year before the airport opens up. So it's during the construction phase toward the latter end of it. Underneath that, it's a very small, fine print, Bob. And if you can't read it, I'll read it for you. Do you know what it says? Uh, I can make out the words New World Airport That's it. Commission. So on this capstone to this time capsule, placed a year before the finish of the airport, the Freemasons have left their mark and underneath their mark is the phrase new world airport commission now if you're <laughs> if you're inclined to conspiratorial thinking that's a really bad choice of words <laughs> um it's got it's got a lot of words in there that people when they're put in proximity to each other people get a little buzzy about them new world right next to each other is really not a great placement call back to the nwo And so this is where people start to draw this idea that the Freemasons, who are long accused of being leaders of the New World Order, and I don't want to spoil the episode to come later in the season, so we won't go too much into it other than for the purposes of this episode. But people are saying, wait, well, they put their symbol right on the capstone of the time capsule, and then they wrote New World Airport Commission underneath it. Now, here's the interesting side story to that. There were some reporters there when the Times capsule was being um, placed underneath the airport and sealed with this with this uh, stone, which the Freemasons provided, which is why their logo is on it. So they say they claim when when questioned that they had nothing to do with the construction of the airport. They simply provided a marble ca- a marble capstone that was used to seal the time capsule. But there were like a hundred of them there when they sealed it, um, which is uh, interesting um, because if you had nothing to do with it, why are you so invested in one little slab of marble? Now, the uh, devil's advocate opinion would be, well, they simply are just looking for press because it's a rich man's Elks Lodge. And they're just, they're putting on their little costumes and going out to take a photo because that's what, that's what they do. You know, they probably donated, uh, you know, the stone and they want to get some credit for it, right? And also others might say, well, the Freemasons numbers have been plummeting as the decades have gone on. It's not quite the organization that it once was, at least in public membership totals. So maybe they were trying to drum up some interest and uh, round up some new recruits by getting their picture in the paper. That's one way to look at it. The problem is when questioned about uh, this phrasing, the New World Airport Commission, people from that time don't seem to have a very clear answer as to what the New World Airport Commission was. Which is where people begin to get suspicious. There are various claims that it was in fact a misprint and it should have been new comma World Airport Commission. And the comma was just left out. Except in the multiple articles written where the group is quoted as existing, it's never written that way. And there's no evidence that it was ever supposed to be written new comma or new world comma airport airport commission. The guy who was in it at the time, okay, a member of it, says, I don't even remember why we called it that. I think it was just some synergistic effort because it was a new airport. So we were like, you know, we were calling it the New World Airport Commission. What? That that was why you came up with that name? You came up with a name because it was a new airport, so you called it like one word away from the New World Order? It's, it's a little weird, and it's a little clunky, and no one seems to have any explanation, and the group doesn't seem to exist. Now, what the people who were supposedly involved at the time will say, was it was just for the airport, so it's gone now. But others would say, well, it's being erased because they're trying to hide that it existed, right? It was the shadow group that built this thing, and their members were also members of the Freemasons, and they sealed the capsule, and then a year later, the airport opens, and everyone just forgets. And so that's what people are pointing to. They're saying, oh, we didn't forget, right? We see we see it, blah, 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 blah. 
If that were the only thing at this airport that were a little weird, I would probably drop the case. But it's not the only thing that's weird. Do you think there's anything else in that airport that would lead you to think something's up in terms of the end times? Bob, there's another email you got, and it's titled, Artwork Don't Open Till Episode. You want to click it? These are two pieces, two art installations by an artist named Leo Tanguma. He was a local Denver artist. The the pieces are titled Children of the World Dream of Peace and In Peace and Harmony with Nature. That first one, Bobby, can you get a good look at it? So to describe it, it's the children of the world wrapped by a rainbow of light. Can you see what's at the bottom not really. What does that say? War. Yeah. So it's there's a little thing that says war violence. Right. Ape. So at the bottom is a soldier carrying a gun and weapons, and he has a gas mask on that has a an image that looks a lot like the scream mask from the mid nineties. Yeah, it looks like a toppled monument. Right. Now again, the artist spoke about. Uh, the work and said that these pieces were about children of the world coming together, literally like the title, to dream of peace in the shadow of violence and war. But a lot of people would look at it and say, what the hell is that doing in an airport? It's it's just a weird piece of art to be in an airport. I kind of go back and forth on this because as an artist myself, I'm not a visual artist. I'm not commissioned to make paintings or visual art, but I am an artist who makes other things, who writes things. I know that commissions sometimes go differently than they're maybe envisioned because of the artist's interpretation. And it's possible that this wasn't sketched to the artist in word. Like, I need you to make this. It was just an open-ended project and the artist made what they made. And in all honesty, sometimes artists are interesting people who make very weird things that are cool and that push the culture forward. And inside of an art gallery, I think this piece is almost milk toast. It's almost boring in its simplicity and its obviousness because it's just like, it's very there. Children, and then there's a soldier and he's hovering below them. And it's like, war threatens the children. But if you put it in an airport out of context, I think people maybe start to look at it and go, oh God, what is that? Yeah, and like you said, there's a stone on the side that says war and vengeance and anger and all this stuff. Now let's go to the second piece of art, which is titled In Peace and Harmony with Nature. Now, if you can see this one, there's a lot going on in this one. Same artist, um, Leo Tanguma. I hope I'm pronouncing the last name correctly. And in this, to summarize for the people, it is, uh, it's like a nature scene. It's got some 3D like looking elements in the back, almost like a prism. But the forest that's in this nature scene is burning in the background. And people are gathered around, people of various ethnic backgrounds are gathered around. And if you look on the ground, you'll see that there are multiple dead people, including a dead child. And so when, again, when people are traveling through an airport and they see this, they are a little bit freaked out because it's not, again, this isn't lobby artwork like you normally find. Like if you go into a bank and there's a photo of a boat, you're like, you don't think about it. It's a photo of a boat. There's not a photo of dead children. Now, again, this is a place people are traveling. This is a high anxiety place. A lot of people, flying is an intense experience. You are hurtling through the sky in a metal tube, powered by rocket fuel, jet fuel, okay? It's a lot. And when people get off this plane or about to get on this plane, they are they are greeted by images of burning forests and dead children and gas mask wearing like stormtrooper like soldiers hovering ominously over the youth of the world. So I'm not saying that these pictures are bad. I'm not saying they're bad art. I'm saying that people in a high anxiety state are encountering images of utter horror Dead children is a is a, and they're in like a little tomb with flowers on them. And Bob, by the way, if you look through other if you look through other things that have these images, there's actually like scrolls hidden inside of the artwork with like um 
like the last will and testament of these children written in poetry form, where they talk about, oh, I wish I could live in... No, this is the thing. I wish I could live... I'm summarizing. I wish I could live in a time of peace, but oh, I live in a time of war. And oh, if I could just go to sleep and wake up in a time of peace. So some people read that and they think that that's the New World Order telling you some people are going to go to sleep and they're not going to wake up. And some people are going to go to sleep and wake up in a time of peace and safety because we're about to cleanse the world. And we're going to use the underground bunker at this airport to safely protect the, 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 the chosen, the chosen few, okay? So that the world will be pure and uncontaminated again. To be clear, the artist who made these was not intending any of this and has gone on the record to say that that was not the intention. They were commissioned to do a work and they made the work. It is what it is. Again, if this were not in an airport, I think that this piece of art would be pretty like self-explanatory. You'd look at it and go, oh, it's about peace and violence and death. I get it. Yeah, it's it's definitely, you would see this at like a, like the first one, it used, like you said, is very more milk toasty sort of of hit you over the head with peace and love second one's definitely a little bit more disturbing you've got like some it appears to be like animals like on display or in like cages yeah they're all kind of doing like you said a ceremony over some dead bodies forest burning that that one's much more jarring like if you saw the first one you'd be like oh okay that's that's a mural at a at a you know whatever but the second one you definitely look at you're like oh okay there's some weird stuff going on with that one. Yeah. So uh, people look at this and they they read hidden images. Again, the artist has gone on record as saying that there were there was no hidden agenda. They were not hired to present um, some dystopian you know new world order plan. They just they just made their artwork to symbolize what they were symbolizing. Right. New airport. There were some various quotes about a new airport, a new day, a new beginning, right? Like looking forward to the future, the children of the world, things like that. If you scroll down a little further on the email, Bob, you're going to see three photos. Um, would you be able to describe to the loyal listeners of our pod what exactly you're seeing? And, and what you don't get, I will I will finish summarizing. Uh, I believe you're talking about the, the gargoyles? <laughs> sure am. Okay. The, there's... Yeah. Three stone gargoyles in a very, you know, home alone. I'm going to call it the home alone pose when he slaps his face with the aftershave and then screams. Yep. And so I think I think there are two. I think one of those is a, is a duplicate photo from another angle of the top one. I believe there are two. It's possible that there are more. So I'm not going to quote the number, but there's at least two because we see two images here with very different faces. One with a tongue sticking out and one with their mouth sort of open like, ah. But you correctly identified, Bobby, that there are gargoyles perched above the baggage claim area at the Denver International Airport. These gargoyles were by an artist named Terry Allen. (laughs) Bobby's making a face. Bob, what's on your mind? So, like, I feel like this whole airport could have just really used one designer, one mind to say, here's the decorum we're going for. Now, here's the thing. The conspiracy theorists would say it did have one mind. And in fact, the message is very on brand. Um, that's what they would say. So for the people that are, that can't see it, these are gargoyles perched atop um, tall stone um, pit pillars and at the top of one uh, i think they actually both are but at the top of one you can very clearly see it's sitting in a piece of luggage now the artist uh terry allen has said that he came up with the idea while he was touring the facility in its early construction phase it was finished not early construction but it was finished but it wasn't open yet and they were looking to make art and they had brought some artists around and by the way he mentioned that there was a nun there and the nun was quoted later talking about the hiring of different artists there's another piece of art coming by the way the biggest piece of art that people point to is still to come bobby but terry allen toured the facility and he said that he was given the feeling of a a cathedral when he walked into the airport it has a very high-pitched almost tent-like roof in the main in the main terminal the main building and he was given this cathedral-like feeling and he started to think about people coming and going and the religious significance of travel and of the prayer of travel and all this stuff and he said he was brought to the idea of the phrase Notre Denver, like Notre Dame and the gargoyles that are perched above 
medieval cathedrals. And if you know the story of those, many people don't, and they look at them and they're scared by them. But actually, gargoyles were meant to protect the church and the spirits of those that inhabited the church. So they're actually protectors. Shout out to the 1990s cartoon gargoyles uh you would know that if you watched it so and that's a callback folks that is a callback yeah that's a throwback way back that's a that's past beetleborgs that's into the early mid 90s but it's such a quality cartoon it's very very good it's it's really good so um but that show would have taught you as a child that gargoyles were actually symbolically protectors watching over the souls and the prayers of the church So, Terry Allen was actually inspired to place protective gargoyles over those that were traveling through the airport. And this is in Terry Allen's own words. So, actually, this is another one of those things where it's like, oh, that's really weird and creepy and strange. But actually examined on its surface is a completely reasonable artistic choice. It's just like you said a minute ago. It doesn't fit with any like vibe because if the if the entire airport had been built like a cathedral, those gargoyles would make a lot of sense. And people coming and going, Christianity is a pretty widespread religion. Most people understand the concept of medieval churches. They would look at that and in context would go, oh, it's gargoyles because it's supposed to be like a church, right? Like if the entire airport were covered in stained glass a lot of things would start to click into place and you'd be like oh oh i get it i get it okay they're like it's like a church of travel okay i see i get it it's not that though it's like there's it's just out of place and to people who are not well versed in either early 90s cartoons or medieval history and architecture gargoyles just seem like creepy demons staring at you as you go to get your bags which is a weird it's a weird thing to put in a building not for the artist but for the airport itself again i'm not judging the artist i almost never judge them that's what artists do they make they make stuff that's provocative that's the whole point of art if art doesn't provoke you it's pretty useless so shout out to terry allen and shout out to the other artists involved I guess people are talking about what you're doing, so you must have done something right. Uh, It's not boring, but people look at this and they're freaked out. Also, if you look, though, the gargoyle sitting in a suitcase, it's pretty playful. Like, I don't think, I don't think it's like the gargoyle's like, ah, like trying to kill you. It's sitting in a suitcase. Like, it's like a joke. But that, plus those weird paintings. Go ahead, Bob. I mean, it almost, the faces they're making, it almost looks like they're scared to fly, which is ironic since they have wings. Right, exactly. And it's like they're being packed in a suitcase, which is a pretty funny joke. Like you just said, they look like they're freaked out. Like someone's about to stuff them in a suitcase and take them on a journey because they're their protective charm, right? It's like, it's all actually pretty in line with the idea of a gargoyle. It is what it is. The thing about the Denver airport is it's, it appears at both at all times to be both very aware of its conspiratorial energy, so much so that it interacts with it regularly on the internet. There's actually a number of uh, videos that the Denver airport has made where they talk about the conspiratorial thoughts behind some of the images and art that you'll find in their, their airport. They make like joke videos like where they're like, bah! and they try to scare you on like Halloween. Like they're like, they're like, it's very like, there's a lot of stuff going on, but then they also will like, they'll try to talk about it. And there's a couple videos where they'll have like tour guides, like taking you around the Denver airport. But here's the thing. When the tour guides try to do their best to like build a case for how silly the conspiracy is, it actually just makes you more concerned and weirded out by the Denver airport. Also just people from that area are a little weird anyway. You're going to go to an email I sent you t- t- titled Blucifer. <laughs> okay. And I want you to click on this nightmare and I want you to look at it. And again, <laughs> these fucking cowboys, they think. Oh, they think they're the fucking horse lords of Rohan. These, these morons. Gondor <laughs> calls for aid. And, and Rohan will answer. You, I need you to show, I need you to talk the people through what you're seeing. And we're going to really deep dive on Blucifer. Not, not necessarily too much. There's so much to Blucifer. There's a lot happening here, Bobby. Okay, so very quickly to describe for you, since you didn't know what it was until this moment, that's a statue at the airport. 
and it is massive. It is as big as you think it is. It took a decade to build, and it killed its builder. And I, I, listen, okay, Luis Jimenez was the artist commissioned to build this horse. For the people listening, it is a giant <laughs> blue Mustang, stallion, colt, I don't know, some whatever the word for a horse is out there. It was built by Luis Jimenez, okay? Again, the, op- the airport opened in, two- in 1995. Luis Jimenez was still working on it in 2006 when he was tragically killed as a part of the installation fell and severed an artery in Mr. Jimenez's leg and he died as a result of his work. It was finished by his estate three, uh, uh, two years later. It was finished in 2008 by his estate. And all of the laughing we're doing is not about Mr. Jimenez. Very sad that he died. But this is Bobby. Can you describe what this thing looks like i mean it's it's definitely got that like denver broncos vibe to it like so it's a really yeah it's it's a horse up on its hind legs it is the a, horse is, is blue a, yeah it is a sh- definite shade of blue the eyes appear to be like red and glowing don't appear bobby are bobby they are red glowing eyes the eyes are red and glowing it's got a very it's got a very disheveled mane yeah like it's not like a like a nicely combed mane. It's like no. the hairs are standing on end, so I can see why they call it Blucifer. It does have a very demon vibe to it. If you were to like if you were to try to tell me that a, a horse was possessed by a blue demon and it had it had morphed into a combination of the two of them. Yeah. That's that's what I would say that this is. Even the expression on its face. Yes, the last picture was what I wanted you to go to. It's horrific, right? It's very scary. It's not regal. It's terrifying. From the front, staring at the face of the creature, it is it is truly it is truly terrifying. Now, to be clear, because he died before it's construction was finished, I can't speak to exactly how much of the final product was Mr. Jimenez's intention. And again, no shot being taken at him because I, I really can't. He's not alive and I, I do not wish to speak ill of the dead. And it is, even if you don't like it, an incredibly grand endeavor. I mean, it's massive. It's truly, it dwarfs everything around it. I mean, you can see based on like things in its vicinity, it gives a context of its size. It's it's very, very large. So as a public works installation, it is a, it's a, it's a massive undertaking. But this horse is blue. It has glowing red eyes. It has a very scary face. This is the thing you drive past as you approach the airport. It's There are videos online of people going to investigate it, and they're shooting it from the side of the, the road. It, it, it's like they're, it's between three roads that diverge around the airport, three sort of like access and exit terminals. So you know, you're seeing it as you're going in and going out, that type of thing. Does it also maybe look like a horse of the apocalypse? Because that's what conspiracy theorists think. I don't know if it's that, though. Also, if you if you click in on the body of the horse, Bobby, it's covered in these uh, very scary red veins. It's a very strange image. And again, it's unsettling. You could have picked copper. You could have picked, uh, which I know changes color after time and there's oxidation. So that's why a lot of image, uh, public works aren't really made of that kind of stuff anymore. But there are a lot of ways that this could have gone. I get the idea of a horse out in Colorado. I understand the history of the cowboys and of the West and of also, let's not forget the Native Americans who were the horse lords long before any John Wayne ever hopped up on a horsey. Um, The Spanish brought the horses to the New World and the Native Americans broke them and learned to ride them. Learn the history of the Comanches if you want to learn the history of the true horse lords of, of North America. But I get that the horse is a symbol of of the West and of power. And I understand it's also very much a symbol of Denver, like we said, of the Broncos, right? When I was laughing earlier, saying a colt or whatever they call it, obviously it's a Bronco, a bucking Bronco. This one is reared up on its hind legs as if in battle mode. It has no rider. It is an incredibly terrifying image. I'm just going to be honest with you. I cannot imagine being a child at night approaching this terminal for a late night flight and seeing a glowing red set of eyes on a massive, terrifying horse that is neighing and screaming at me. I mean, this isn't like, it could have been down on four legs, regally looking off in the distance. Horses are incredibly regal creatures. I I don't understand. It's, again, the artist isn't alive to speak for himself and 
was tragically killed in the making of it. But good God, I cannot imagine having to see this as a child before I got on a flight. And then you get in the airport, and if you've landed at Denver International, you've got to see some gargoyles before you see this thing. And you might have to see some artwork of dead kids. There's a lot going on that is, again, very, very tone deaf and weird. And if you are bent toward conspiratorial thinking, there's a lot here to add up and go like, God, what are you doing? Like, what are you, what's going on? And by the way, I haven't even touched like the layout of the airport and what it looks like when you look at it from above. There's a lot of stuff that's that's happening here okay but in general and a lot of well, a lot of what i've pulled by the way is from undercovercolorado.com from an article by cameron bailey april 2nd 2020 and the com by uh colin st john titled how the denver airport became an icon of the illuminati and then some stuff was variously pulled from flydenver.com so i just want to list those sources they were places that i sort of aggregated a little bit of the information the dates the times the things like that you can go to those sites and read those articles the thrillist one is the one that most steers into the idea of the conspiratorial thinking. To finish on Blucifer, because that's what it's called by uh, the conspirators, they'll point to the fact that it's already drawn blood. Like it's literally killed someone. Now, so has the Hoover Dam and the Empire State Building and every bridge pretty much ever built before like 1970. And still some of the bridges built now. Half of the World Cup stadiums for the Qatar World Cup that is going to happen in about a year and a half. Somebody dying during a public works installation is not, again, just like a long delay, in and of itself, very strange. So these are the things we're looking at. We're looking at long delays, over budget, strange symbols on stones left above time capsules not to be open for a long time, creepy artwork forecasting the apocalypse, gargoyles uh, greeting you as you go to get your bags, and the scariest horse that I have ever seen. So Bobby... Now, now is the time where I ask, I ask the question to quote Magneto, to which I already know the answer. Bobby, is it possible that the Denver airport is home to a new world cabal that is waiting for the end times so that it can survive the Holocaust of humanity and build a better world after? Kyle, while it may be possible that uh, the Denver airport was put together by a bunch of very different artists with very different tastes and really could have just used one interior designer, one one conductor of the orchestra to maybe put these pieces together in a way that would make sense. Uh, unfortunately, I'm going to have to say no. I, I don't think your your conspiracy holds any water. Neither do I. And I think your integrity uh, your integrity remains intact, um, as I hoped is mine. I picked this topic because it was funny, and I thought at some point we would need an episode like this, and I, I think this was the week for it. And like I said, there's some coming that you're not going to pick up the win on either. I'll take the first loss of the year. Like I'll take it like a man. So, I mean, there is... Your first piece of, of evidence was the, the start to something potentially compelling, right? To say that... I mean, I know we joked about the big dig and you know what large public works hasn't gone over time over budget but i mean if you if you would if that was the first chapter right of hey there's two billion dollars missing potentially more and there's several years that we're missing that are unaccounted for now we've got a hole right now what can what evidence outside of it can we use to fill that hole right if there was eyewitness accounts of you know a temple underneath it or or, you know what I mean? Like if there was that that first piece of evidence you gave dug the hole, but there's nothing to put in it that's going to make me say that that conspiracy has any merit. You know what I mean? Like there's there's some weird art, some odd word choices. Yeah. I mean that I'm going to see that horse in my nightmares tonight. But that's not none of that is like that's all just kind of yeah. Like there's nothing there. If the 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 money and the time could have led to something more, right? If there were if there were designs from an architect for for a, a labyrinth underneath, you know what I mean? Like if there was something, some sort of right. It just it doesn't have enough meat on the bone, right? These are these are very these are very very thin chicken wings. There's not a lot to grab. Yeah, and to, and to be fair, uh, you know, anyone who will listen to this who believes in this conspiracy theory will point that there is more. Let's call it meat. I would say that there's fat there's not meat it's not suitable for consumption it is just fatty gristle there's more of it i'm not gonna lie but i've tried to like i said aggregate down the general vibe 
to something resembling a coherent thought. Yeah, there's a lot more articles and pictures and theories about the building and the size and the layout and the X and the Y and the Z. And there are people that say there is uh, a theme running through the artwork that is apocalyptic and that is also Masonic in style. And I and they are using Masonic pejoratively because they think that there's something inherently... Um, Sinister. sinister. Yeah, sinister about about that. And um, you can go look up the quotes by some people. There's some very educated people that, that are actually on board with saying that there are some holo- there's Holocaust imagery throughout the those gas masks. Like I said, there's almost that Stormtrooper SS soldier vibe. And then, like I said, that there was that poem about the child that was like, oh, to live in a world. That's actually a poem written by a, a, a Holocaust victim, a child that actually wrote that. It's a real like poem that was put into the piece. The reason the artist said it was put into the piece was to use the real words of children that have suffered from war, right? Like, again, the art is supposed to be evocative of, like, a better world to come. So they're putting in real iconography, real symbols, real words from children that have suffered the effects of humanity's failings. So, again, it's it can be looked at from one side of the coin or it can be looked at from another. Um, there's, But like I said, when you go out and look at this, there's just gristle. There's not a lot of meat. And here's what I would say to anybody who says that this is where the New World Order built their bunker. Uh, if they were so powerful, they'd have just built it somewhere else. I, it makes no sense to build it underneath a functioning international airport of a major city and tourist hub and whatever. In fact, it would probably be um, counter to your needs. Because if you're a shadow organization planning for the end times or planning for the possibility of the end times, why would you want a bunch of people in your way as you potentially try to navigate your catacomb like thing that you've built. I, I, why would I want people seeing the comings and goings? Why would I want to make it so difficult to get to my base of operations? And people would say, oh, it's at an airport so they can fly there when things go bad. Well, if they knew the location of the airport, they wouldn't put it in the airport you could fly at. They'd put it on an airstrip you don't know about. And, and we're again, we're talking about billionaires and trillion. Like we're talking about people with money we don't even understand in these shadow organizations. You think they can't buy? 10,000 acres out in out in those uninhabitable areas of the country where nobody lives and put an airstrip there and build something underneath that? Like, why would they build it in a major installation that also has government oversight and has all this other stuff, right? Like, not everyone is in on the conspiracy. This is another thing about these conspiracies. Like, you know how many people you think could keep this secret? Like, the whole Freemason? Like, everyone? It was fun to look up. It was very silly. I have to say it's the silliest of the ones I've looked up this season, you know? Yeah, and the the idea of it is, like you said, is is fun, right? The idea that there's something out in plain sight. But, like, really all I'm seeing are just a bunch of weird art choices. <laughs> and maybe, like, a director <laughs> of the airport that really doesn't know how to say no to artists. <laughs> or, like, or doesn't have any sort of unifying vision when they're like, listen, I'm thinking of a 30-foot-tall blue demon horse. And they're like, can we make... Maybe just make it like a like a normal sized horse with like a plaque on the bottom, like dedicated to the Wild West or something. No, no, it's got to be like a 30 foot tall demon horse. You know, okay, I guess we'll find a spot to put it. Like I'm thinking I'm thinking gargoyles and suitcases. Can we maybe just have like, I don't know, some whimsical birds? Like, can there be like some statues of like animals? No, no, no. Definitely, mm-hmm. definitely gothic yeah. gargoyles. Uh, and I'm really, yeah. I'm going to hit hard on that Home Alone face. They're going to be, they, they're going to look worried. Okay. I don't know that we want worried things in an airport. No, no. Trust me. Okay. Cool. We'll find some pillars to put them on. Like, listen, baggage claim is scary enough, brother. All right. I want you to amp it up a little bit. I want people to really think twice about if they come and complain about their lost luggage to us. Like, it's just like, you know. Is that a, is that a dead child in your mural? Yeah, it's symbolic. <laughs> of what? Dead children? Yeah. it's And this is another thing I didn't mention, but it's it, uh, if you go to the Denver International Airport, you are actually able to interact with these pieces. And much like a museum, they have plaques on the walls. And like, so you'll go to like an art museum, right? And they'll say like, Thomas Jones, 1912. Portrait of a girl, 
They have that, and then underneath it, a part that says conspiracy, which presents the conspiracy of that thing, and then the truth. That's not, I'm not making that up. You can look it up. They have the, like, the conspiracy and the truth of everything I've talked about. And there's also more stuff, by the way. Bobby, I didn't even get to all of it, because, like, we're, you know, we're, we're clipping on here in time, and I didn't cover all of it. But again, I don't, I don't feel it to be worth covering, so I didn't. But there's, like, an alien skull that, like, it was clearly put there, apparently, by the people that were making it as, like, a joke or something. Like, I don't know, you can look up the alien skull. I, I literally pass over it, because it's so ridiculous looking. Like, and we already did an alien episode. I'll dig in if I need to dig in, but there was nothing there. So, like you said, I think this is less a case of a new world order and more a case of a tone-deaf design of public works, you know? And I really, I just get that vibe from all of Colorado. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The comedian Tom Segura has doubled down many times that he believes Louisiana to be the worst state in the union. Uh, and he's caught flack from other comedians, specifically Theo Vaughn, about that. Uh, and shout out if you don't listen to the Your Mom's House podcast network and, and anything Theo Vaughn does, because it's all fantastic. But... I want to kind of throw out that I think Colorado's in the running for really being holy moly. I'm not saying that, by the way, I'm not saying the Rocky Mountains aren't beautiful. I'm not saying the rivers and the lakes and the streams and the nature. The earth is never responsible for the fools running around on it. Listen, I mean, if you're if you're looking for like some good skiing and snowboarding. Right. You know what I mean? Like Aspen has right. Aspen long been the place to go. Like, But like, I'm just saying that like, don't you get that vibe from Colorado? Am I wrong? Hashtag Am I wrong? Okay. No, they're just, they're a little bit more loosey goosey. There's, I mean, listen, I'm not going to say why I think it is because, oh boy, I could really, I could really step in a cow pie myself, but I'm not going to say why, but I'm going to say that Utah and that whole area, there's something going on out there. I don't know. They're, they're making me uncomfortable as an East coaster. That's all. That's all. I've had a bad taste for Denver ever since I went to the Patriots-Broncos game, where it was no lie. It was in the negatives. It had to have been like negative five degrees out. Uh, you would buy a beer at the stand, and by the time you got back to your seat, it was a slushy. And it was brutally cold. And it went into overtime. And like me and my friends that were there were looking at each other like, do we stay? We have to stay for overtime. And it was a game. This was when they were good, and it could have meant something for like the standings right. at the end of the year. So we're looking at each other like, do we have? to stay for overtime like if we stay we're probably going to lose some fingers and toes but it's an important game so we have to so we ended up staying and like we had brought hand warmers and foot warmers and they were long worn out and dead by the time the, the half of the overtime was over and we ended up winning so it felt good but like man and i had like a down i had a down vest on right like a really like thick down yeah. vest and uh we had brought this janky uh grill for tailgating oh. but we had oh boy. we had been warming apple cider on it and be making like spiked okay. apple cider yeah but i had accidentally leaned on the grill and so the the, the outside of my vest had melted and i was just losing oh. feathers so like oh, throughout God. so literally like i was holding myself like i'd been shot and i was just right. like pouring feathers out of this wound in my vest <laughs> all game and like i'm just watching my warmth float away as these feathers get caught on the wind and like i'm literally clutching like my rib like i had been shot and let's be clear to the listeners mr anderson very often uh doesn't prepare for the cold I'm just going to say that. I'm going to throw it out there about you. I'm not taking shots at you, but I'm just saying the truth. You very rarely wear a jacket, okay? And and by the way, he's not doing it out of some um, toxic masculinity where he's like trying to tell you he's not cold. He just doesn't bring a jacket. He owns them. He just doesn't bring them. And he would regularly be wearing shorts and he would and he would admit it's cold. He'd be like, oh God, it's cold out. And I'd be like, why don't you have pants and or a jacket on? He'd be like, oh, I forgot. And like, that's happened a lot, okay? We, we, were, we, we met and we're friends for a very long time up in New England. I've seen this happen a bunch. I bet you didn't have nearly the amount of layers you should have had, and that's why that down vest was so damn important. All I had was an Under Armour, you know, those long sleeve Under Armour shirts. I knew it. I... I knew it. I had that. I had some gloves. I had a hat. And I had that down. Fast. I knew it. I knew it, Bobby. I knew you didn't prepare for it the way you should have. You, you probably should have had two hoodies and a coat. And you brought an Under Armour and a friggin' down vest, which doesn't cover your arms. Like, I, I mean, I don't. I Listen, okay, quick one. 
Quick one. I was at the 14 and 0 game in the 2007-2008 season when the when we beat the Jets in the snow game. There were like 15,000 people in the stadium because it was a state of emergency in Massachusetts. I don't know how the game got played. I was there because my friend from high school, Steve Cahill, his family had season tickets and nobody wanted to go. So he had an uncle who also had tickets somewhere else in the stadium who was like, "You can come in the Yukon Denali. I'm driving to the game." And like, that's it. Like, I'll bring you there. We went, we tailgated. I regret it to this day. Not because of the experience. It was a cool game to go to. It was badass. It was, you know, we we, we, we toughed it out and we got a win. 18 and one, almost, almost got it. But it was so cold. It was wet. It was wet snow. It was like, it was like you were getting rained on with snow. And I mean, it was cool because we were all throwing snow up in the air every time we scored. And it had this real cool image, except also we were then just throwing more snow on ourselves and on the people down below and we were on the lower bowl they have good seats so like we were getting it from the people up top and you've been drinking all day to sort of deal with the cold so now you're like you gotta go to the bathroom all the time you got too many layers on i mean you break the seal and it's over you know and we're and it was a great game but then you've got to drive home for and it's by the way this is foxborough to worcester okay and we're driving slow because of the weather, right? The roads were barely clear, even later in the day. There were cars flipped over on the side of the highway the whole way there and back. And here's the crazy thing. The dude wouldn't let us. He wanted to get in line for the parking because he knew it was going to be bad to get out of the lot. He was right, by the way, because they'd closed half the lots. So even though there were only 14,000 people there, they were all in one lot. Like they, like they'd narrowed it. So everyone was leaving from the same place because they didn't want to plow the whole stadium for 10,000 people. So we're in a line of cars for an hour and the dude wouldn't let us get out to go to the bathroom. He was like, I don't want to lose my spot. If it goes, I want to go. I don't want you somewhere else. And they were like porta potties, like pretty close by. He's like, you get out. I'm not letting you back in. And we're like, what? He's like, I want to get home. Dude, so for three hours, I'm holding like five Miller lights or whatever they sell at Gillette Stadium. And I'm just dying. I literally willed myself to sleep. I was sitting in the middle between two small children. I'm soaked to the bone. All my winter clothes are soaked. I have to go to the bathroom and I literally force myself to go to sleep because it was the only way I was going to survive because I was like I think I'm going to urinate in this car as a grown man in front of these children that's my cold weather New England Patriots story I think we've all got one yeah but I knew you didn't wear a jacket why don't you wear a jacket you still don't wear a jacket do you (laughs) do you even own what would be considered by most a jacket oh I own like a heavy duty for my job it's it's like a neon like okay it's pretty heavy duty. And I wear it to work. Is it required wearing? Yeah, I wear it to work because when I have to be outside, I have to be wearing something visible because of, you know, safety vests. And you're so. on that prairie cold now. You've got that Indiana, you've got that Indiana off the water cold. You've got that whole, I don't Plus know. Plus I'm just old. I don't know anything about Indiana. Now I'm old and the cold gets in your Ooh. bones. Are you feeling it? Yeah. I'm feeling it. Yeah, I'm getting old. Yeah. It's happening. I'm, I'm moving less. I've noticed I've started to make decisions about energy. Like I'm like, do I want to bend down to get that? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Do I need it? It'll still be there when I need it later. It's sad, man. This has been a very nostalgic slash sad episode for two uh, high age millennials like us. Yeah. No. NWO references, gargoyles, WandaVision, and we can't we we can't bend down to grab things quite the way we used to. That's the shout out to the kids. Yeah. It's coming. That's the that's the true the true conspiracy is the is the conspiracy <laughs> age. That's the conspiracy we all believe in, and and it's coming for all of us. This has been a good one. It's the first first um, loss of the season. The first loss. Listen, it was gonna happen. Nobody was gonna be able to run the table with with all of the twenty topics picked. Someone was gonna lose somewhere. It's likely both of us will lose probably at least once. So I mean, we'll move on to next week. To everybody who's listening, if uh, if you've randomly stumbled across this podcast, please like, rate, subscribe, follow us. We're on Instagram at I mean it's possible. You can find us anywhere. You You've got your podcasts. Interact with us uh, through our email, possiblepod at gmail.com. Send us any questions, comments, concerns, thoughts. If you want a topic that uh, we haven't covered or that we didn't mention in the draft and you want to see us cover it, let us know. Yeah, and follow us. You know, interact with us. We'd love to hear from you. We've been enjoying doing this and and we hope you're digging it too. So, uh, Bobby, until next time, my friend. Signing out.